Good morning, Vancouver. 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Brough. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Sportsnet 650 studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A-Dog, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Good morning, Leaner. How are you? So good. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for asking. Halford and Brough in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer Today, hour one of this program, which we are now two minutes into, is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Build your company to win with Kubota from Avenue Machinery. Big show ahead, two weeks into our, I think this, I'm calling this week our uh, work vacation from vacation. I got to workshop the name, but work yeah. vacation what, from what, vacation. What What is your, like, it's, it's. It's your vacation from vacation, right? I, I had a month of va- I had a month of vacation, right? Okay. And then I'm going on a work vacation for a week within that vacation, and then you're going back. This to, is very confusing. Then you're going back to real vacation. <laughs> don't do what Donnie don't does. They could have made this clear. <laughs> uh, show today, six thirty. We're going to go to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, home of the Little League World Series, Canada, represented by our very own Little Mountain Baseball. We're going to talk to David St. James, the president of Little Mountain Baseball. His son is also on the Little Mountain team that's currently playing in Williamsport. I wish we got him under different circumstances because this team, prior to yesterday, had won 17 games in a row, including two at the Little League World Series. Mm -hmm. Then they lost 10-0 to Mexico. You can't play that with actual children on the line. It's a children. You know, you oh my can't, god! Yeah, I didn't even think yeah, about that. Yeah, you got to not. There's a whole do different that. level of context. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. They're children. <laughs> Damn it! It's a little league World Series. We're on to Curacao. I, I don't even want to think about the Mexico game. That's a drink, right? The Mexico. You know, that's, yeah, that's the kids too. are not, the kids are on to Virgin Curacao. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna play Curacao today. I yeah, think today. Yeah. So they now uh, Little Mountain in a span of one loss goes from being pretty comfortable in this tournament yeah. to now on the verge of elimination. But we'll see what happens. Uh, they are still very much alive in this tournament. We'll talk to David St. James live from Williamsport at six thirty. Seven o'clock. Kevin Kurz uh, from the Athletic covers the Islanders. Covered Lou Lamorello's press conference yesterday in the aftermath of Lamorello finally making some moves this summer. But those moves were re-signing three of his restricted free agents. So we'll talk to Kev about what Lou Lamb had to say about how the, the feisty old general manager was a bit defiant when asked uh, if he cared that fans were disappointed in a lackluster offseason. So that's at 7 o'clock. 7.30, Nick Shook from NFL.com is going to join the program. Uh, we'll go around all the big news and notes from what's happened this week in training camps and around the NFL. Uh, we'll ask him about Baker Mayfield being named the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers playing the Cleveland Browns in week one. No, no, no. I want to ask him about Tom Brady. We're leading with Tom Brady. Was he on the mass Singer? I don't know if Nick's going to have the inside scoop on that, but we can ask. Uh, Tom Brady said he wasn't, but that's what a guy on the mass Singer would say. That's right. That's what his I was not on the mass Singer t-shirt kind of indicates. So 7.30, Nick Shook. We'll come on the show, and we'll talk to him about that. 8 o'clock, Thomas Drance from The Athletic. Vancouver is going to join us. Also the commissioner of this newly hatched fantasy football league I joined. I'm in. Oh, yeah. you're in. A, so you're in a fantasy football league with Drance. I cannot imagine a more work-intensive hobby. Mm, yeah. I. It was about, I don't know, eight to ten minutes after registering that I had pangs of regret. Yeah, you're like, well, how am I on natural stat trick? Why did What's I do- going on? Drance makes you work three hours a day on it. Involved, yeah, there, there's a WhatsApp group that got muted like 10 seconds after. <laughs> like, yeah, boom, shutting this down. 
So anyway, Drance, the commissioner of my new fledged fantasy football league, is going to join us at 8. So 8, Drance, 7.30, Nick Shook, 7 o'clock, Kevin Kerr, 6.30, David St. James from the Little League World Series. Uh, tonight, speaking of baseball and series, the Jays start a big one in Boston against the Red Sox. And as we mentioned, staying in baseball, Little Mountain takes on Curacao. We are on to Curacao. That happens later today. Uh, that's what's happening on the program. Andy, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? We start with the Canadian Football League and the BC Lions for a second consecutive day, only because the head coach, Rick Campbell, and the now injured and likely out for the season quarterback, Nathan Rourke, met with the media yesterday. On Sunday, as you well know, the Lions revealed that Rourke has a Lisfranc sprain, not a fracture, but a sprain, and he will be out, and according to Rick Campbell, most likely for the entire season. Campbell's audio yesterday was probably the more direct of the two guys talking. Let's play some Nathan Rourke audio first. This is him talking about his hopeful recovery from injury, and then we'll get to the Campbell stuff on the other side. Here is BC Lions quarterback Nathan Rourke on his list Frank injury and how long he might be out for. Hopeful too, yeah. I've, uh, I've had uh, major surgery before. I had a uh, posterior labrum repair in 2018 and, and was ahead of the schedule with that. And had the right have the right people around me here again and and, and uh, got a pretty good work ethic. And so I'm sure that'll be, I'll be back and ahead of the curve with that too. So who knows? Rick Campbell went on to say, we're moving on and we're moving forward. So we'll absolutely miss Nathan. It's a bummer. But it is what it is. So uh, the the O'Connor era begins for the British Columbia Lions, and it begins this week when they take on Saskatchewan in a rematch. And, you know, there's not a ton to add in terms of analysis here. We did a ton of it yesterday. It's more about now, I think everyone within the organization, really outside the organization, Nathan Rourke's not playing again this year. Yeah. Like, and, you know, it just do not make that an option. So in a way... O'Connor can go into this with a little bit of stability, knowing that, well, at the very least, I'm the guy for the remainder of the year, and I well, need to prepare this. not necessarily the guy that for the remainder of the year. The Lions I mean, have he, a couple of other options. Too. Yeah, they've got Antonio Pipkin there, who's there's been a, guy a journey, named, there's, journeyman uh, CFL, yeah? Yeah, there's a guy named Kevin Thompson, too, that a mm-hmm. few people were talking about. Uh, I don't know much about, but uh, I think he might have transferred over to UW at one point and didn't play, but... Um, for, for I, I, you know, I, I kind of disagree with you in that you're you're taking it as a bit of a positive for Michael O'Connor. I think this is a really, really, really I'm trying, really tough situation for for O'Connor because you people are still going to expect the Lions to do well, and they've still got that complement of really talented receivers, and it's up to Michael O'Connor to take advantage of that, mm. and you know what people's expectations are. Like they, they will know that Nathan works out. They know that they understand that, but they also see a team that's eight and one and they want that to continue. So this is a tough situation for him. Like forget about the fans and the media, your teammates as well, mm-hmm. right? This this was a Lions team that was feeling really good about itself uh, in large part because they had this quarterback that seemed to do everything right um, from his play on the field to how he practiced to what he said. Um, the guy's, like obviously, I'm not in in their locker room or at practice every day, but the guys seem to absolutely adore him. And now it's Michael O'Connor's job uh, to try and salvage this season 
that should still result in a playoff appearance, right? Like they're eight and one. It would have to be one heck of a collapse for them to miss the playoffs, well, considering I, some of the records around in the CFL. I'm glad that I tried briefly to do House of Positivity. It didn't feel right. And you adequately respond with some House of Negativity, but that's House of Reality. That's the real... I mean, look, if I was to take a step back and try not to find a positive spin on things, like I tried to earlier, this is... <laughs> Yeah, this you is, don't have to find a positive yeah, spin, this right? Is, like, this is a real... It is an opportunity for Michael O'Connor, there you for go. sure. It's there an opportunity. I mean, it's something that he'll be put... He, obviously, the Lions have a good team. There's a good stable of players around the quarterback. But we all know that the quarterback is the most important player on, on, a, on a football team. So now yeah. it's his job to get in there. Uh, I wonder about the other options for the BC Lions. But for now... We'll see what Michael O'Connor can do. In the limited action that he's had, he's looked fine. Yeah, it's just that the biggest issue with all of this is that, and I said this yesterday, so I'm not breaking new ground here, but the BC Lions didn't just lose their starting quarterback. They lost the, they didn't even just lose the best quarterback in the CFL. I think they lost the best player in the CFL. They lost a guy having yeah. a, 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 a historic season for a Canadian quarterback and, and in some regards, any sort of quarterback in the CFL. Mm. He was the type of player that we've talked about a few times on this show that the CFL just doesn't have enough of anymore. And the guys that I remember back in the day, you know, whether it's, Matt Dunnigan or Damon Allen or Doug Flutie or, you know, whoever, mm -hmm. there was a bunch of them. There was a handful of them. And that, with all due respect to some other other guys like, you know, Bo Levi Mitchell, I, I hadn't seen that type of star factor in the right. CFL for a long time. And I saw it in Nathan Rourke, actually to the point where, you know, we were all wondering, could this possibly last? last, right? Like Doug Flutie eventually did get another shot down in the NFL. Sure. Jeff Garcia went down to the NFL and we were wondering about Nathan Rourke in the NFL, still wondering about Nathan Rourke and the NFL. Uh, let's move on to, we mentioned it in the intro. We'll mention it again. Now a little mountain at the little league world series, Vancouver's very own. Uh, it was a tough one last night for the boys from little mountain, a 10, nothing defeat to Mexico. Now to put this into context, because I'm sure a lot of people just kind of glance at the score and they're like, ooh, God. Um, one, Mexico came into this tournament as one of the favorites to win the whole thing, not just to advance from the international side of the competition. They were regarded as an incredibly strong team, maybe the team to beat from that side of the bracket. So it's not a surprise that they defeated Canada and Little Mountain. Now, they, mer they mercy ruled they mercy them, ruled and them. Canada did not get a hit. No, and they had two runners reach base. So I'll, we'll talk to David St. James, because in these tournament formats, a lot of times when the game's out of hand or you see it possibly going that way, there's no point in maybe trying to fight back because you need to save p pitching arms. You need to make sure that you have all your pitchers available. So maybe you don't use guys that could get you could clawed back into a game. So we'll talk to David St. James about all that. Here's how it shakes out from a competitive stand. Uh, Canada now takes on Curacao today, as we mentioned. If they win, they play the winner of Panama and Nicaragua. All of this leads to... They're more comfortably in the CONCACAF area now, I think. They are well in their comfort zone yeah. in CONCACAF. They've seen all these teams before, played on some bumpy pitches away, <laughs> and they're ready to get a result, maybe two. So the way the tournament works is, is it's kind of <laughs> convoluted, but it's not. There's a winner's bracket, so if you keep winning... 
the idea is one team goes undefeated all the way through to the final, and then the best team with one loss makes its way all the way through. Wait till they have to play Honduras. Yeah. That's that's going to be a tough one. That's going to be tough. Haiti's always a nasty piece of business in the CONCACAF region. I tell you what. Uh, We got two other things we need to get to in the intro segment. Do you want to do Lou Lamorello meeting with the media, or do you want to do Manchester United over Liverpool? Uh, Well, let's start with Lou Lam. We can do both since you've mentioned both. Now we have to do both. That's right. Uh, we're we're going to talk to Kevin Kurz at uh, seven o'clock today, I believe. That's he correct. covers the Islanders for the Athletic. No longer the San Jose Sharks beat writer Kevin Kurz. Uh, Lou Lamorello did media yesterday, um, and well, he was asked how to characterize an off season that, for a lot of Islanders fan fans and the media that covers the team, uh, was not active enough. Here's what he had to say. At the end of uh, last year, uh, that if we could upgrade any part of our lineup, uh, we would certainly do that. And like every other team in the National Hockey League, there's constant communication uh, to try and do that. Uh, And we looked at uh, many different options. Unfortunately, the options that we looked at, as I had mentioned, to make hockey trades, uh, we would not have got in return for what we had to give up Uh, to make us, in my opinion, a better team. Uh, And I'm actually uh, really excited about the team that we have uh, uh, right now uh, going into the season. So I I feel very good. uh, But if we could have gotten better, we would have done that. Uh, That's no different uh, than throughout the season. Uh, But it's the price you have to pay uh, to do something to upgrade in one position. And what you do if, if the pluses and minus don't work out, you're really downgrading your whole team. So uh, there was some pushback to that because prior to the draft, and uh, Kevin Kurz was one of the many that wrote about this prior to the draft and then mentioned it in the aftermath, was that Lamorello, he indicated that they were going to be very aggressive and very active in trying to make the team better. Now, Lamorello pretty much explained that away yesterday by saying none of the deals out there that would have made made us active would have made us better. And in fact, he said all the trades that he saw with the packages that were going the other way, he wasn't convinced that the team was going to get any better. I suppose that's an adequate and satisfactory answer, but I have a very hard time believing any Islanders fans have a lot of faith in running it back with almost a near-identical team when they were so far out of it last year, and the only major change was behind the bench with Barry Trotz going out. Right. Yeah, a lot of pressure on Lane Lambert to turn this team into a winner. And I think a lot of Islanders fans look at this team and say they're not going to score enough. And what Lou Lamorello said to that was, I'm a goal differential guy. It doesn't matter if you win, you know, six six to five or two to one. The most important thing is that you score more goals than the other team, which does make sense, right? Um, Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that your team will play the most entertaining hockey if the best decision is the or the or the most likely outcome if you're going to win is two one. But that's why Lulam had so much success with New Jersey, and that's also why New Jersey never attracted many fans, even though they won multiple Stanley Cups while he was the general manager. Right? right? Like yeah. they 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 played the most uh, boring hockey. Yeah, they in played the world. boring hockey. Now yeah. the rules back then allowed them to play that sort of hockey and be successful. You still have to be good defensively in the NHL. Having Broder and Net helps a little too. That was pretty good. 
Well, and, and some okay. of the defensemen that they had were Stevens, just incredible. Stevens, Niedermeyer? Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. Not they're bad. Okay. They're okay. They're the, okay. The issue for this team, though, is after back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals appearances and being not just a playoff team, but a playoff contender, they go into last season, and a lot of people said there was two arguments, right? One was, well, we had to start the season on the road, and we had that massive road trip until our rink was ready. We really were behind the eight ball. We got hit hard by COVID. We never got our season on track. That's one theory. The other theory is they got old in a hurry, and we've seen that happen in the NHL before. Teams get old real quick, and it plays out in real time. This was a super old roster that they had on the island last year. Chara, 44 years old, played in 70 games. Andy Green, who's 39 years old, played in 70 games. Go down the list. Parise's 37. He was an every-night player. So they're an old team. So the concern is... That fourth line is well into their 30s now. It's been together for the better part of, I don't know, five years now, it feels like. they go. Zizekas is uh, 31, Clutterbuck is 34, Matt Martin is 33, and those guys are all signed, like, pretty long-term. Yep, everyone on that. There's a lot of guys on that team that are signed well into their 30s. The question is going to be, was last year a blip or was it a sign of decline? And that's what Lamorello is banking on the former in a big way. Now, if he proves to be the latter... They're going to be in a world of hurt because they're in this new arena. The ownership is excited about finally getting some stability and the shiny new rink, and they definitely want to get back to where they were, which was a playoff contending team. Yeah. Two years in a row, with you know, because there were negative results in non-playoff talk with an aging core that you didn't add to. I think that's going to be a real problem. And it's funny because when the notes we were talking about um, some of the teams, and we'll probably have this conversation later on, but we can introduce it now. The teams that were the pressure is really on going into this season, right? We do this at the start of every yeah. year. Like, who needs to win? Who needs to get results? I'd put the Islanders in that conversation with teams like Vegas, with teams like Toronto, mm-hmm. where they need to have tangible results in terms of wins and losses and playoffs. Calgary success. now, but Calgary. we'll have that conversation later yep. in the show. Um, Manchester United last night or yesterday hosted Liverpool at Old Trafford. There were protests before the game Mm -hmm. uh, with thousands of Manchester United supporters marching around Old Trafford um, demanding that the Glazers sell the team. And I saw uh, or heard some of the chants that they were singing. Mm -hmm. God, you you think Canucks fans are bad flying a banner? Some of the chants that the Manchester United uh, supporters were singing about the Glazers cannot be repeated. This can't on put this that program. on a banner. I always thought that was so funny when people complain about Canucks fans being mean. It's like, have you not watched a soccer game? Yeah, like those fans are ruthless. Not it's, it's not an- necessarily that we should hold ourselves to the standard of some of the football <laughs> yeah. chants. It's yeah. like, look at that. That's yeah. what I mean. We can we can we, let's just go one step below that, and yeah. we'll be okay. It's That's so not bad. Necessarily- it's clever. It's like- it, yeah. Well, it's it's it, any at any rate. Uh, a lot of the soccer world tuned in yeah. really to watch Liverpool thrash Manchester United. That did not happen, friend. Uh, their new manager, Ten Hag. Eric Ten Hag. Ten Hag. Uh, That's made the proper s- pronunciation. Made Very some, Flemish. Made some gutsy changes. Kept Ronaldo out of the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. And maybe more importantly, kept the captain, Harry Maguire, uh, stalwart for the English national team, which we can talk about in just a minute, uh, out of the lineup, and mm-hmm. you tell me what happened. Yeah, they beat Liverpool 2-1, the first time that they had beaten Liverpool since 2018. 
So Liverpool's run of dominance over United is now over. Yeah, so you mentioned Maguire getting parked in favor of Varane and Martinez in the middle. And that was a big development because with Maguire and Ronaldo out, everyone that watched that match said the same thing. There's like a real fighting spirit yeah. and a real energy to this team that we didn't see, especially last week in the 4-0 loss to Brentford where they looked flat and really uninspired. So obviously the symbolism and the significance of parking two of these massive internet, massive stars, yeah. right? Um, Ronaldo more than Maguire. Still, yeah, Maguire's no, one of the most recognizable players yeah. in the world, right? I mean, it is, it is what it is. Not always for good reasons. No, though. but he, you know, he's in the newspapers a lot. Let's put it that way. Remember so, when we compared him to Dion Phaneuf? Yeah, that, that was, was pretty accurate. Yeah, it's starting to prove pretty <laughs> accurate right now. The Halford and Bruff show combining two worlds that never were combined before. Anyway, uh, it was great for United. I remember we said yesterday going into the show, this match is bigger for United than it is for Liverpool. After it? I was ready to say the alternate. Like, yeah. all of a sudden, Liverpool now, I believe for just the fourth time in Premier League history, has started a season with no wins through their first three matches. Like, it's, this is, and the the frenzied pace, even though it's such a long season, the freakout quotient in the Premier League is so high. Mm-hmm. If you go well, to- it's justified. They played three games, they have two points. Yeah. That could cost them in the end. Exactly, right? Because it's so tight to get into, not only the title race, but- uh, Champions League spots, Europa League, Conference League, which Liverpool, it's Champions League or bust. That's their expectation. Yep. So it becomes a really fascinating chase now, and United needed that that result desperately, and you could really see the emotion in Old Trafford yesterday. Okay, we've only got uh, two minutes before uh, we'll go to our first break, but I do want to ask you a question. Are you as worried as I am about England at this World Cup? Well, They okay. do not look in form. A lot of their players, I know... Sancho scored for United yesterday. Sort I know Rashford, Rashford yeah. scored, but those guys might not even be on the squad. There might not be any Manchester United players taken by Gareth Southgate. Mm. The big question is whether he's going to choose Harry Maguire. Well, on John Stones, because John Stones and Maguire have been the two sort of central backs that have featured almost exclusively for England in all their major international competitions. But uh, at the tail end of the... Um, European window, the the, the conference league, that so the Europa Nations League they're playing Nations yeah. League. Thanks, um, they didn't look good. They looked against, awful against Hungary, and then Maguire's been really bad to start this campaign. Stones has been hurt, and he played on the weekend when City tied Newcastle, and he looked terrible. So they're saying, "Hey, wait a minute! The World Cup's like 15 weeks away. <laughs> we are our two our two center backs are in not great form." Is this going to be a problem? Because Southgate, if there's been one thing throughout his tenure as the manager of the club and the country, it's that he's always gone with the guys that he knows. Old faithful, old reliable. Even if they're not necessarily the best players, he knows what to expect from them. And more importantly, he knows that they're not wildly unpredictable. Like They're safe and they'll do the things that he asks them to do. That squad selection is going to be fascinating to watch. You know how we get all these debates when Canada goes to a best-on-best competition. I know it's been a while, uh, so we haven't had these debates for a while, but how, um, you know, some people lobby for these guys and other people will lobby for another one, and and it's all about, ah, this coach just likes this guy. He won't play this guy. It's going to be that times infinity with with, with Gareth Southgate. I'm not going to lie here. My uh, fandom and investment emotionally into England has been withdrawn to a considerable degree because oh, yeah, Canada's sure. going, right? Like for I'm, sure, yeah. I mean, I've been following, I've been yeah. tracking that no, way course. more closely and like what players are in form, who's mm-hmm. hurt, who's not doing well. I think it's awesome. They're like, 
Jonathan David's off to a great start, and Alfonso Davies is off to a great start. Like, it's been really promising for Canada. But the global story, as much as people hate it, often focuses on England sure. because a lot of English players play in the Premier League. Well, which that is group, the most- too. That group is going to be the one that's going to probably have the most eyeballs on it with the U.S. and with England yeah. and with Iran. Like, it's going to be a wild one. And mm-hmm. uh, that's a bit that's going to have the most global implications for sure. We got to get going to break. When we come back, we are going to go to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, home of the Little League World Series. We are going to talk to David St. James, the president of Little Mountain Baseball. He is down there with his club. They suffered their first loss of the tournament yesterday. We'll get his and the team's reaction coming up next on the Halford and Bruff show on SportsNet 650. Time now for SportsNet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Six thirty-two on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. What a juxtaposition we have at play. Music, which is exclusively catered for old people. And we're going to go talk about Little League Baseball right after it. The olds and the youths, together at last. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour one of this program, uh, we're halfway through it. We're going to be joined by David St. James from Little Mountain Baseball in just a second here. Hour one of this program is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Build your company to win with Kubota from Avenue Machinery. To the phone lines we go. We go all the way to Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Home of the Little League World Series. Joining us now, the Canadian representative right from here in Vancouver, Little Mountain Baseball, the president, David St. James, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, David. How are you? Uh, I'm very good, yeah, and thanks for having me on this morning. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We appreciate you taking the time. I wish it was under different circumstances because this team, which had ripped off, if I'm not mistaken, 17 consecutive victories, finally fell to defeat last night. Uh, the scoreboard was pretty lopsided. It was a 10 nothing win for Mexico over Little Mountain. Uh, break down the game for those of us that weren't able to watch because I know with the rain delays and the late start, uh, the broadcast didn't exactly work out as many wanted it to. Yeah, so the breakdown of the game, we were originally scheduled first pitch around 5 o'clock local time, and then that was bumped to 8.05. So that's quite a lengthy rain delay. I mean, both teams have to go through that. And then uh, Mexico is a pretty imposing team that came in as one of the favorites, I think one of the emerging favorites on the international side. Uh, we were 0-0 going into the second inning. And uncharacteristically, we made three errors that inning. Uh, right. This is a team that's gone through uh, game after game, uh, flawless defense and great pitching. And it just wasn't our night. A pop fly that lands, a ground ball to shortstop that gets overthrown, a stolen base. Uh, and next thing you know, we're down uh, 4 nothing, then 6 nothing, uh, And then we're up against a gray pitcher. Like, our team got no hit last night. And this is a team that put up 101 runs mm. in our Canadian National Championships. And we were no hit last night. So that tells you the level of play we're up against. Well, that's what I wanted to ask about. Because, again, like I mentioned, you guys haven't just gone to the Little League World Series. You've done it in very dominating fashion. How talented was this Mexican team compared to the ones that you guys have seen throughout this run to Williamsport? Yeah, real talented. And having watched a lot of the international bracket here in Williamsport, I think the biggest difference is pitching and pitching velocity. You know, our kids at Little Mountain can throw 60 to 65 miles an hour, and that can be dominant in our Little Mountain League and our district and prove to be dominant in Canadian. And once we get to the the Little Leagues or what looks like the big leagues, 
There's every pitcher in the national bracket is throwing 70 to 75. We're going to face a guy today who throws 78 miles an hour, which is equivalent to 98 miles an hour at major league distance. Right. Uh, and okay, so today it is Curacao that you guys are taking on. So it goes real quick at the Little League World Series where you're 2-0, and you get the wins over Australia and Japan, and you're feeling comfortable. One loss, and all of a sudden it's now we're one loss away from elimination. What's the mood like around the team? i got to imagine that they're probably happy that they can flush last night's game quickly and get back into action today against Curacao. Yeah, that's the beauty of baseball, right? It's an everyday sport. So you, you know, wake up today, you forget about yesterday, and you focus on our game at 5 o'clock today. And I, uh, you know, these boys have been through a lot, and uh, I fully expect that they'll play their best today, and that's all we want. How much fun are the boys having down there? It is a dream. I mean, it starts with the parade. Uh, you know, these 11, 12-year-old kids, they're signing autographs, they're signing <laughs> shirts, they're posing for pictures, you know, they're doing press conferences. Everywhere there's go, there's high fives. They're in a, they're in a place called the Grove, so... They're isolated from their parents, and they just get to think and dream and eat baseball and play baseball. They're having the time of their life. This has been a great run for these boys. They, they, I imagine they hang out with the, with the other kids from the other teams? Yeah, they're sharing kind of a, a corner with uh, Australia and Hawaii, so they're getting pretty close to those kids. And all the kids, all the games have player seating. So if, if any player wants to watch a game, they go sit. And then they're amongst other players, and, you know, they're, they're kids. They're getting along. They're taking selfies. They're Snapchatting each other, and, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Are they, are they too young to get nervous? You know, I think they're too young to get the moment, right? Then I go back to the Canadian final, and every parent knew what's on the line. If we win that game, we've got memories of a lifetime. <laughs> right. always be able to say you played the Little League World Series. And these boys didn't know the magnitude of that. They just went out and played a great game. Right, so I think the the youth uh, plays in their favor, and parents are a mess. <laughs> the anxiety on parents, and we want it more than the kids, and the kids get a chance to just go and play baseball. It's pretty cool. What is it that uh, Little Mountain does so well as an organization to produce these these great ball players? Yeah, it's a great question, and one that we we've been getting asked a lot this summer. And I think kudos to our executive team. Uh, little Mountain through COVID, like we continued to play baseball as best we could. So a shortened uh, 2020 season, uh, a shortened 2021 season. So we kept people engaged in baseball. We do fall development, winter development. And I think the single biggest thing is we are, while the oldest Little League in Canada, I believe the, the largest Little League in Canada, our enrollment is about 850. And I expect that to go up by 20% uh, after this run and all of uh, the eyeballs back at home. And our next challenge is finding enough fields. So uh, it's going to be reaching out to our parks board uh, and say, how can we find some more fields? Because we're going to have over 1,000 kids from the age of 5, 12, wanting to play baseball. We're speaking to David St. James, the president of Little Mountain Baseball here on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Little Mountain representing Canada right now at the Little League World Series. Uh, in Williamsport, they will take on Curacao this afternoon. I believe it's a 5 o'clock start, hopefully, assuming there's no more delays, 2 o'clock our time. Uh, David, with regards to this, you know, I coached, I still do coach at Little League at Hastings, so I understand how competitive and how difficult and how hard it is to get through the number of tournaments and the razor-thin margins of what you can only lose a handful of games on the way to a run like this. At what point did you guys at Little Mountain realize that this group, you had something really special and you had the chance to go on this kind of run? Yeah, I think it was the semifinal of Provincials, and we had a pretty good run. We lost our first game and then ran the table the rest of the way, but you're in the semifinal, so now an elimination game. And Lucas Weiser, who's been the best player on the team and 
He's been the best player at the age groups going back to eight years old. It was a 0-0 game going to the third, and he hits a grand slam. So now we're up 4 nothing. We can drop our shoulders and the kid's relaxed. And I think when you can see your best player be the best player on the field on the biggest day, that for us was a turning point. Now, Lucas Weiser, being who he is, he then turns around and starts the final game and goes the distance and gets the win. So I think uh, having your best player be your best player at the biggest moment is the difference. But I think that was the turning point where we thought this group could be really special and make a pretty serious run all the way to Williamsport. And we did. Yeah. Happy with that. And it's been great so far. The Mexico game notwithstanding, the team is still very much alive and they've got a chance to work their way back through the bracket. So again, it's today. Curacao, Canada takes them on 5 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock our time. David, thanks a lot for doing this, man. This was great. Uh, I love talking Little League baseball, especially when a local team goes this far and does this well. Best of luck today, okay? Thank you, and uh, happy to chat Little League anytime. Cheers thanks. Folks. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's David St. James, the president of Little Mountain Baseball, right from here in Vancouver, going all the way to Williamsport at the Little League World Series. Were you a good baseball player in Little League? Uh, yeah, I didn't play Little League. I played uh, BC Minor, so they're, they're different. There's slightly different rules, right? But they're, they're, two, they're basically two different organizations within oh, okay. the province. Little right. League Baseball is Little League, right? Mm-hmm. It's, there's no leadoffs. It's a different thing. But anyway, I was, yeah, I was a good baseball player. Yeah. How, how, how different is the baseball in terms of coaching now, since you're coaching, uh, compared to when you were a kid? It's like every other sport. It's yeah. so much more detailed and year-round and the opportunities to play more in an organized skill-based like fundamental setting like, like i think I we go play I, baseball with my buddies yeah anytime i wanted mm-hmm. but we'd go to the park at beecher park right by my place and we'd screw around using and, a tennis ball yeah right like i mean <laughs> yeah. there i mean i we had kids so we coached uh, a selects team this year and it was all 11 year olds right so 2011 birthdays which my son is and like all these kids that we're running into at tournaments and stuff they're playing on travel teams throughout yeah. the summer and they're going down to tournaments in Phoenix and Flagstaff and San Diego at 11, right? I mean, that that didn't exist for me. When I was 11 years old, I played other little small district teams in Burnaby, North Burnaby against South Burnaby. That mm-hmm. was a big rivalry back in the day, that kind of thing. We used to get into the batting cage like once a year. Yeah, so we didn't have one growing up. I when, think we rented one. Yeah, when we when I started coaching in Hastings, Hastings at Saunders Field across from the PNE. Mm-hmm. It's a really nice field, and it's got a really great facility, including its own batting cage. But I remember ta- telling my kid, "I'm like, I can't believe you have a batting cage at your disposal that you can but just kill for that." As a kid. I know yeah. it was amazing. So that, but that that's the same conversation we probably had with youth hockey mm-hmm. when you played compared to when you coached. How much more? Um, Things like power skating and academies and development camps and Shoot, individual shooting lessons, individual skating coaches and lessons. Right, everyone has their own mental coach now. Like they, everything is gone. Mental li- coach. I want to see mental coaching for kids. Didn't Mikey DiPietro have like two mental coaches at one point? He had like his personal one, and then he had the Team Canada one. They'd be fighting with each other. Yeah, it's not good. Don't for yell his- at him so much. He needs it. <laughs> 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 and that's all happening in Deep Retro's head, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, best of luck to Little Mountain today, 2 o'clock against Curacao, between them on. Hopefully the broadcast works out, because yesterday, the game was supposed to start, as David mentioned, early, er, five, 5 o'clock local time. Yeah. And it was late by the time that game was done back east, right? I mean, you could see that it was dark and the, the, the lights were out at, at the field in Williamsport. So I don't know if the three-hour rain delay wreaked havoc on Team Canada, but hopefully there's no delays today. They can go out and be Curacao. Do you know what my favorite comment uh, from David St. James was? Was when uh, they were playing for, they were playing the game to get to Williamsport, 
And yeah. he said that all the parents knew what was at stake and probably sitting there going like, oh, okay, like how do we make the travel arrangements and all this sort of this is so exciting. Like the kids are going to be, and like, I bet there was a, there were a few kids on that team who were like, oh, so uh, who do we play next? Yeah. They're like, Williamsport, in Williamsport. They're like, is that near Seattle or something? Like they just have no idea. I they're just they, not dialed into the details at all. They just, I, just want to play baseball. I bet they weren't even thinking who are we playing next. They're like, can I play Fall Guys after this or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> That's Honestly, I coached enough of those kids where you'll see them at times and it looks like they're the most dialed in, ready to be a professional baseball player of all time. And then in the next inning, you'll be like, why are you climbing a tree? <laughs> that happened this year. I'm not joking. <laughs> Wait, One of the what? best players that we had. I turned around and he was in. He was climbing a tree because he liked climbing. He was climbing a tree mid-game while we were like in the, the dugout. The play batting. was happening and he was up in a tree. No, no, no. no it was between batting. innings, oh, we okay. were batting, so we were all in the dugout. And he went behind and was just dangling from a tree. I'm like, <laughs> "What are you doing?" I thought it was like, you know what? I've had enough of this. I'm gonna and then climb I could. And then, as a smart coach, I'm like, "He's like our best player. I can't really do too much about this." So <laughs> I had to be like, "Just go sit down." We could have made it. We could have sent a message that day, but we didn't. Anyway, it's uh, it's yeah, it's it's fun. I love watching this. Play away. It's such a great experience because I know a couple of the coaches that have sent teams before from BC down to Williamsport, right? Because yeah. usually if a team gets through BC, they got a pretty good shot of winning the Canadians, right? right. It's happened quite often. And uh, they say it's just like, I think that's the other good thing that David said there is that the kids have no idea that they're about to go on the trip of a lifetime because they're 11. They're, their life is minimal at that point. Mm-hmm. It's barely over a decade long, right? They can't experience that much, but it is like you'll never forget it. Also, wildly expensive. To send a team to Williamsport, or yeah. so I'm told. It costs a lot of money, and it takes a lot of sacrifice from a lot of people. I laugh when I watch some of the broadcasts of Little League, and, and they're like, here's so-and-so pitching. He throws a fastball, a slider, and a curveball. I'm like, a slider? He's he's 12. No, they can all throw that stuff. We had a kid on our team this year that could. he had like three pitches in his arsenal and had like a legit slider. I had to go catch for him one time. I was sitting on a bucket. Because I didn't want to be in a crouch for hours, right? Right, and the thing like dropped like twelve to six and hit me right in the ankle. <laughs> he throws hard, so I'm trying ah! not. I'm trying not to like cry or vomit from all be the pain. Be a man, be a man, be a man. Because I'm like, I think I broke my ankle. Or right? I'm sitting there, and I'm like, it's I, this really hurts. You'll never see the mound again. The, kid, the kid's off. He's like, did I hear you? I'm like, no, it's fine. It feels fun. Yeah, I'm gritting my teeth, spitting blood, even though I didn't. It's a good it. pitch. Yeah, yeah. Had a lot of movement on it. I, that's all I can say. I'm like, that thing really dropped, bud. Like, I, that was great. Good I po- slider. I apologize. This is a stupid question, but Little League World Series. How many of these kids do any of them go on to play professionally? Is that a thing? Yeah, you know who oh, was yeah. a star I, in. Okay, you know who was a star pitcher in Little League way back in the day, Chris Drury. Yeah, really? He yeah. he won the Little League World Series for Trumbull, Connecticut I did back not in the know day. That. Yeah. Wow. He was an unreal athlete as a kid obviously. Um wow. there are a lot that go they on. upset Chinese Taipei yeah. who had won it like hmm. years that in was a row. Cr- Chris Drury was more famous as a baseball little leaguer than a hockey player for a long time. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. So uh, there are I mean yeah, it's not an overwhelmingly large percentage right obviously. It's yeah. like People grow up and it's like, oh, that kid got fat. Like that, yeah. and they became an adult, right? That's what happens. Still got Chris the slider. Went, Chris Jerry actually went the other way. Yeah, because he was a little chubby. Bro. Yeah, well, they, yeah, because yeah. they're also like pre- adolescent preteens, so they've got kind of like you know that that look where oh, it's oh, like yeah. I had that yeah. look. <laughs> yeah, either either you're, you're you've grown too fast and haven't put on enough weight, or yeah. you put on too much weight and you haven't grown tall enough yet. It's one of the two. Yeah. Those are the frames that you get. So, uh, so earlier in the show, uh, turning into some NHL talk, mm-hmm. uh, and since we'll be talking a little bit of Islanders today, Kevin Kurz from the Athletic is going to join us. In just a little bit, because Lou Lamorello met the media 
yesterday to address his frustrated fan base. Um, we have this discussion every year. Who's the, for lack of a better way to put it, better win or it's going to get ugly team in the NHL this season. So who's a team that if they have a bad season, it's going to feel like the end of the world. And for me, the most compelling teams in this regard are ones that have already shown they can win in the regular season, but haven't won the cup recently and also have a limited, I think this is the key part, have a limited runway in terms of the age of their core group. So for me, it's teams like the Flames who have certainly made some moves this off season, but have some added some players that are either in their thirties or approaching their thirties. Like Kadri's already in his thirties, Huberto's nearly in his thirties. So you need them to do something soon. Like guys like Backland are getting older and he's a key player for them. Even Marky and Tanev, those, those guys aren't getting any younger, right? So there's pressure on the Flames. I think there's pressure on the Islanders, who we'll talk about soon, with Kevin Kurz. Vegas, to me, mm. is getting to that point where they're like, we better win something, guys. Right? Like, this this team, like Mark Stone is not getting any faster out there. Sure. Uh, I know it's not always exact, right? Like, Jack Eichel's still a young guy. He's still got a lot of runway, assuming he can stay healthy. Um, the Leafs, as well. But more, it's not necessarily an age thing, but it's that Austin Matthews, that contract is getting close to running out. Mm -hmm. And I'm not necessarily saying that he's going to leave, but I think he's going to cost a lot more. On this list, I don't think there's any debate that Calgary is the most intriguing and most compelling of the four. Okay, so let's run through the Islanders. All due respect, it's the Islanders, and they kind of stunk last year. So they gave their fans a little bit of runway for what it might be like moving forward. Vegas, I think everyone knows that they're in some trouble here because of the Laner situation, because of their cap problems, because they missed the playoffs last year. So we kind of know where it's going. We want to see where it's going to go, but we know the current state of things. Same with the Leafs. You don't worry about the Leafs until the playoffs. The Leafs yeah. are going to the playoffs. Calgary is... I, I don't remember the last time, and let's go across like the big four in sports. When has a team lost its two leading scores, and maybe its two best players, debates to be had, and replaced them, and maybe got better? Like when maybe, does maybe that's the thing? Because yeah. you look at it right now, and ever I was having this conversation with a friend yesterday, and he was saying, "Well, this Calgary situation is really crazy because you flip out. Let's say Gaudreau for Huberto is a wash." They give you the same kind of production. They're relatively okay. close in scoring. Let's just say for argument's sake to move it along. Yep. They're reasonably close. Sure. Let's say Kadri for Kachuk is reasonably close in okay. terms of production. Really, Calgary got what they lost back, and they added Mackenzie Weger to the mix, who's going to be a top four defenseman for them. You could make the argument that they're a better team now than they were last year. Mm -hmm. You could also make the argument that that's all hypotheticals because these guys just might not click and it might not fit and it might not work. That does yeah. happen. Guys go to I'd new much places. rather have Kachuk than Kadri personally, but much rather for yeah. one season. Well, yeah. If you were just to go into this year and say I want to just pick a team, I mean, in, there's I, no contracts unless you really nothing. unless you're really confident that you're going on a deep playoff run, which I guess 
I thought Kachuk was really disappointing in the Oilers series. Yeah. Except for the first game, obviously, yeah. where he, he, was. he had a hat trick. I thought he was just really disappointing. He was quiet. Um, I, well, he, can't I mean, be, he, he can't be quiet. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's something about Kachuk with he like immense talent. Yeah. Right? No question. Kadri always finds a way to be a factor, sometimes or actually too often mm-hmm. to the point where it's to the detriment of his team, but... Mm-hmm. He's rarely out there, and it's like, yeah, Kadri doesn't seem very interested in playing. Also, yeah, also right? a center versus a winger, like it's just more inherently valuable. But I get what you're saying. If you I were mean, to yeah, take it long term, you'd take a Chuck, obviously. If but, they go deep, obviously, then they they'll look like geniuses. But it's Calgary is by far the most intriguing because the bar remains high. Yeah, yeah without question, it does. Sure. But the possibility for it to go. How Huberto's going to fit in? You don't know how Kadri's going to fit in. Like you know yeah. where they're going to play, presumably. Huberto's such a great playmaker. Who's going to score the goals in Calgary? Right. I think I think that's a big question that they might actually address either before the season or eventually at the trade deadline. So we've talked about the Islanders, the Flames, Vegas, the Leafs. Any other teams that you're sitting there going is like they better win or this fan base is going to be. Furious. I was kind of thinking about Florida. Yeah, yeah. Jokes about the fan base not having one. They need to do something. Obviously. Um, Carolina. I know they've made it to a few conference finals, but I think this team has been, I mean, it was a very good team last season. Very good defensively. Uh, disappointing for them to only win one playoff round. That's a good team that's added some players this year. I think the expectations will be high there. They have an owner that's a bit of a wild card there, so you never know what kind of changes could be made if Carolina doesn't go on a run. You know Um, what? I'll just jump in there. Carolina is pretty intriguing to me as well because their approach seems to be we're just going to keep doing everything smart and sound and sensible. We're never going to make that big splashy move, and we're going to stick to our principles, and then we'll just kind of roll the dice every year when we get – I think he Dundon honestly believes that uh, so much of postseason success is about – catching lightning in a bottle and getting hot at the right time and staying injury free. And maybe there's an upset in the earlier rounds yeah. that makes your path earlier. And then eventually you'll just win a cup. If you just remain good, which actually I, I don't even, I don't even like, I think that's a good strategy. It's just not what we've come to expect from NHL lore, which is those classic tra- you know, deadline deals that put you over the top or yeah. that big signing that makes the difference. We love those narratives. Just right? put together a team that can take a shot, a legitimate shot, you know, it, it, it paid off for, for example, the Washington Capitals. It paid off that way. They just had a core. And granted, there were there were the odd changes to the core. There has to be um, and around the core. Mm-hmm. But you just keep going at it. And some seasons, like 2010, you're going to get upset. You're going to run into a hot goalie. And then other seasons, like the you know eight years later or wherever, whenever it was, they finally broke through. They finally got all the breaks. They finally had players performing at a high level when they needed to, and they got it done. They ended up against an expansion team yeah. in the Stanley Cup final. I know Vegas was good, but that's still like, wow, you can't predict that, can you? So, and the, the other thing with Carolina, too, what I really liked is that they always leave themselves in a position to pounce on opportunities, right? They, you leave yourself with enough cap space, you leave yourself with enough assets to move. And you give yourself the flexibility, you can do things like one summer, all of a sudden, Pacioretty and Burns become available, yeah. right? Like, and you're okay. Well, we can pounce on that, and all of a sudden, you go from being this team that 
uh, is good to achieve. It's nice to have flexibility, isn't it? It is nice. We've talked about this ad nauseum nice on this program, right? to be able to act right? nimbly in free agency and be like, yeah, we can do that. We can and be it, part of that. And I get, But here's the thing. Um, I don't know. I think maybe that the, the approach flies in Carolina just because of the market. I don't think there's the inherent day-to-day pressures. And quite frankly, I think the owner is, I don't think he cares. I think he's like, we're going to, I mean, the, the walkaways that they've done with Dougie Hamilton. Oh, I think he Alex cares. Nadell. No, no, no. He doesn't care about what other people think. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm talking about the Nadelkovich walkaway, mm-hmm. the Dougie Hamilton one, where it's like, hey, here's the situation. Here are our principles. Here's our limit. We're not going to pass it no matter what. There's not going to be a check-in in a way. And it's it's a good way to do business. You just got to see if it's going to pay off with the Stanley Cup. And uh, you know, the Canes will have a chance this year. Okay, we got to go to break. Uh, coming up, we're going to dive deeper into this NHL conversation. Kevin Kurz from The Athletic about the New York Islanders, what they did yesterday, what they haven't done this offseason, what they might do moving forward. Kevin Kurz next on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650.